It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. We're in Bristol with Mike Dilcher. Mike, we're on a quest. Hello, lovely to see you. What? Fergus, you said it's been five years since we've been met. It's ridiculous, isn't I it? I thought it was three, but then we took out the two COVID years, which yeah. were kind of erased from our memory banks. We were birding in Chew Valley Lake. It was the last time. Then it was feathers. Today, it's not feathers or fur, it's chlorophyll. We're going on a plant hunt, Fergus! <laughs> we're going to find some rare plants. It's our mission for the day, and this is part of you. You've been on a mission for a whole year looking for rare plants around. UK. 2021 was my big botanical year. I tried to see 1,000 shades of green. The idea was born out of COVID. Um, we were all confined to barracks in yeah. 2020 in the spring. We were only allowed out for an hour a day. It was pathetic. And people like me as well, I, you know, I lost you, a lot of work. Were you caged? I was a caged tiger, <laughs> <laughs> a caged naturalist. Yeah. And I suddenly realised it's really important for my mental health and my well-being and my physical health getting outside. And so I used to look forward to that one hour walking outside every day. It was my green therapy. So I went out with my boy Zachary, who's now 10, and our border collie Bramble. And we were walking all round the lanes in the Chew Valley, Fergus, near where we live. And I'm always looking at the birds and always listening out for the birds. And I'm a bit like Rain Man with those feathered things. I know them all. So Zachary started looking at the plants and I started looking down. And I know dandelions and daffodils and daisies, but things like violets and forget-me-nots, when you drill down, there's more than one different species. And I did something momentous. I took out my plant book and it just took the handbrake off this, this long hidden passion for botany. And I just went from there bonkers, Botanically bonkers. <laughs> Were you trained as a botanist? Is that right? Were I you... did my first degree in botany, yeah, right. back at Nottingham University, but a slight secret. I applied to do zoology, but my A-level grades weren't good enough. So I, they let me in to do botany because plants are less popular and the grades were lower to get into botany. But what I lack in intellect, I make up for by being Machiavellian. So as soon as I got there, 
I did a subsidiary in zoology, so I did a you biology degree sideways. anyway. Oh, <laughs> but I, the first thing I realised is that you can do a degree in botany and not know anything at all about wild plants. But actually, if you can identify plants, that's one of the very few ways that you can actually get a job in wildlife and conservation. Because if you know the names of plants, you understand habitats, you understand vegetation, that's where the mammals and birds are, and the reptiles, and amphibians. So plants are the base of everything. They're the food chain of every pyramid. On a day like today, I had a quick recce before you guys turned up yeah. yesterday. It was blazing sunshine. The flowers I was looking for were nicely open. Today, it's cold, quite rainy, <laughs> wet and miserable. It's a podcast day. <laughs> and on that note, I should say, brilliantly, the podcast team of Hannah and Jack are here too, which is a rare. Hello. Hello. Yeah, really good to have you out in the wild, not just so in the studio. So good to be here. I know what the collective noun of botanists are, because you're honorary botanist today. Okay. What do we call uh, you? Botanai. Um, a botanai of botanists? Yeah, bo a botanistas. Botanistas. <laughs> a host of golden botanists oh. following, uh, is it Wordsworth's yeah. lines? Yeah. <laughs> also, we'd love it if you can just show us some of the more common plants that perhaps yeah. might be taken for granted. Avon Gorge is one of the most important botanical sites in Britain. It's the original rare plant locality. It's where all the botanists back in the day, like uh, John Gerard, John Ray. We're talking um, about 17th century. Uh, yeah. 450 years ago, William Turner was looking for homework here. All the rare plant hunters came to this site. So we're talking Avon Gorge, one of the most important sites, the Lizard Peninsula in Cornwall, Breckland, Teesdale, and the Highlands of Scotland. So right on your doorstep where you guys work and where I live is one of the best botanical sites in Britain. Right, well we've taken it for granted. Didn't know. We have. Well here we are in the Avon Gorge. We're not actually in the gorge here. We're on a, the gorge is just behind us to the south. Yeah. Which is, if you haven't been to Bristol, it's pretty spectacular, sort of rocky crevasse with river and road and almost taken for granted by Bristolians, but the Clifton Suspension Bridge, which people will know, goes across it. So that's where we are in the world today. Yeah, we're, we're right on Carboniferous Limestone, which yeah. basically, it's also the, the downs is used for people doing lots of fitness, and there's yeah. a chap who's doing some military fitness behind us. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yeah, this was formed 350 million years ago when Britain was um, was in the, effectively in the tropics, and mm. shallow tropical seas. Underneath this is Carboniferous Limestone, which is the, the fossilised shells and, and also corals of plants, long, or animals, shall I say, long since dead. And of course, we're on this carboniferous limestone lump. And then come the Ice Age, the River Avon just smashed right through and cut this incredibly impressive gorge. And the reason why it came through the gorge was kind of really confusing to a lot of people. But supposedly through Ashton Vale towards Western Supermare would have been a much easier route for the Avon to hit the Bristol Channel. But apparently that was blocked off by massive amount of ice. So it cut right through the limestone and created this incredibly It's easier to go gorge. through the limestone than the ice. Precisely. And then, and then have... I mean, the ice was just a, just a wall. Yeah. So it cut through it and it goes down for about a, I mean, a kilometre and it's about two kilometres wide. It is incredibly impressive. Great. Just before we go, what, what would be the dream plant to find today? Or the dream plants? What, um, what would be the absolute for, for our mission? There's four megas. Yeah. There's, there's, uh, there's the two endemic trees. They're Bristol White Beam and Wilmot's White Beam, which are found in the Avon Gorge and nowhere else. And they're really hard today because the leaves aren't on the trees yet. Okay. So that's above my pay grade. But what <laughs> I want to find is Bristol Rockcress 
and also the round-headed leek or Bristol onion. And Bristol I love onion. any plant with a, a location name in it because that means it's rare. And it's not found anywhere else. These two yeah. plants are not found anywhere else in Britain apart from the Open Gorge. Are they found anywhere else in the world? They are. They're wow. kind of weird combination. Like Bristol rockcress is found in the Alps, the Pyrenees. It's got this weird disjunct population and Bristol. And the Bristol onion is largely a Mediterranean plant. And there's some doubt as to whether it is a true native or an ancient introduction. Mm. But they're the two top of my list that I want to find for you guys. Fantastic. Let's get to it. Excited. So excited. I want to show you just yeah, a couple of plants a quickly over here brilliant. before we go onto the, onto the gorge. Yeah, yeah. Is this, so this flower, this is, is this blackthorn? It is. It is. Prunus okay. spinosa, blackthorn. Okay. It looks amazing at the end of March, beginning of April. And a lot of people get hawthorn and blackthorn mixed up. This, of course, produces slows. Yes! Ah, yeah. A slow gin. Have you had a bit of slow gin, Hannah? Yes. It's our uh, best performing article on BBC Country Farm magazine Written website. Written by Hannah Trice. That's cute, you're perfectly there. But it's really gin, interesting. But... They both have thorns, hawthorn and blackthorn. But the great thing about blackthorn is it flowers first and then produces its leaves second. Whereas with hawthorn, the leaves come first and then the flowers come. Of course, hawthorn used to be called Mayflower. With climate change, it's now really called April flower. April flower, that's weird, isn't it? Because so, it's yeah. coming earlier and earlier. So this is a plant that grows all over the place. It's a fantastic hedgerow plant. It's beautiful. But do you know this kind of greeny, yellowy yeah, umbellifer, yeah. which is a bit of an Avon Gorge speciality. It's not just found here. It's like a sort of um, this one here. So yeah. Yeah, umbellifer, but green rather than the traditional white. Yeah, it's a yellowy-green umbellifer. It's called Alexander's. It's an ancient oh. introduction. They reckon the Romans brought it over. And if you look, once you learn the plant and you look all around the Avon Gorge or a lot of the coast of southwest Britain, you suddenly find this plant springing up absolutely everywhere. You can eat the flowers, the stems, the leaves, it's like a poor man's celery. Have you I was going to say it looks like celery. Yeah, you can try a little bit, Hannah. Okay. Seriously, you can eat any part of it. It's, um, it tastes a little bit like celery. Hannah is eating a leaf. And if like, you eat like flowers as well. It's almost like the smell of blackcurrant leaves. Oh, okay. For uh, me. You could, when it goes to seed, the seeds turn, um, you can grind them up and it's like a type of pepper. And you can even eat the roots. Well, it's delicious. You think it's nice? Mm. Yeah. Bitter. When, when celery came in, um, then it stopped being Alexander's used Alexander's got kicked out. Alexander's got kicked out. It's sort of name is horse parsley. No, it's or quite parsley bitter. Yeah, of Alexandria. Oh, is that mm. where it comes from, man? The Alexander's is Alexandria. Yeah, yeah, it came from the kind of Mediterranean region all around. Can you yeah. eat the stem? You can eat the stem, you can eat the roots. Mm. The only thing I would say is, when you're picking it, be really careful that you're away from where dogs are. Oh, we <laughs> yeah, just yeah, yeah. Never normally go within the spray zone, so pick mm. a little bit further back. That's exactly what we've just done. <laughs> Just done, Fergus. I thought that was an interesting taste. Yeah, yeah right. but it, it looks, is nice. It looks like celery as well. The stems are completely. There's loads of it, so it can break a bit. Yeah. The stems are completely hollow, and you can. Oh, you've got to try it. Yeah, it's yeah, quite so. bitter. Try a little bit. I'm not sure I want to eat all of it. It's it looks quite fibrous. Aniseedy. It's got a very oh, okay. strong aniseed taste. Mm. That's that's. Not bad, and I think if that was braised yeah. in butter and mm. stock, nice. It's got a really distinctive flavour. It's almost like the angelica that you put on cakes. You're right, angelica is. A lot of people say it, it, it tastes just like angelica mm. as well. Yeah, there we go. Can't be confused with anything else. Um, you have to be slightly careful that you yeah. don't um, the, pick for something like um, 
hemlock. Oh, hemlock. <laughs> yeah, the spot is <laughs> slightly but The fact it's yellowy green yeah. and it's got these big kind of like funny bracts at the base. Mm. Um, I don't oh, think wow. it'll be confused with anything else. It's got very distinctive smell. And the reason why it grows here is because it's from the Mediterranean, it doesn't like frosts. And because we're right next to the coast, we don't get many frosts here, so it can survive pretty well. It does do better inland, and this is probably one of the winners from climate change. As we get milder winters, this plant is going to spread. And with all the food shortages, we might be eating it anyway. So, you know, we could feed the whole of Bristol. There is, look at this, Fergus. Oh my goodness, yes, uh, it's, behind us. When you get your eye in, the plant is absolutely everywhere. How would you describe the smell, Hannah? That's really difficult. It's sort of, sort of green. Yeah. Uh, I haven't got a very good nose. Mine is so I think it's the kind of uh, the, the cold weather <laughs> has cleared the, uh, cleared the. At the moment, everyone is sniffing a plant. It's complete <laughs> silence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, and pondering. I didn't think ten minutes in I'll be eating eating plants and sniffing mm. them. That's it. <laughs> it really stays with you. The taste of Alexander's. Yeah. Yeah. I've got it. Yeah, in my cheek, just here. Mm. Yeah. Nice one. Great, thank you. Fergus <laughs> is not quite sure what to make of that. <laughs> no, I, I kind of, I do like it. I think it's, because I've, I've read about it in foraging books, but never yeah. ever tried it. And now I feel more confident that I might. It is very, very distinctive. But should we go through to the yeah, gorge? Yeah, absolutely. Come through the gate, guys. My and was, um, we are. We're entering now, guys, what's the area called the gully. And this is one of the most important sites in the whole of the Avon Gorge for plants. And one of the problems of the rare, for the rare plants here they're constantly getting um, grown over by invasive plants like Cotoneaster, like Valerian, like Gorse. So Bristol City Council own this, and what they do is they manage it with goats, which is absolutely genius, because they nibble down those really unpalatable shrubs that are taking over the really important habitat. Mm. So we're looking at a fantastic conservation grazing tool in the form of the goats that are, what, seven or eight metres in front of us? And they've got enormous curved horns that go back across their, their sort of napes and the backs, they're, they're impressive beasts. Do you know Gorgeous what? silky fur. Yeah. Well, of course, like, goats come from the Mediterranean originally, um, and they're probably brought over by the Iron Age farmers to Britain for the first time. Um, but these have been here much more recently than that. As you say, I mean, antlers on deer, they grow them and cast them every year, but these have got horns and they, they're on for the lifetime of the animal, continue to grow. And the really old ones, they can curl right round in a circle. That's but they look very peaceable, yeah, just sat yeah. there chewing away, don't they? Come through, guys. Excellent. Goats in the gully. But look at that view, first and foremost. Isn't it amazing? Wow. So we've got the, uh, the river, Avon, running through this gorge, and there's sort of bare sheets of rock. And wood, it's very wooded for being in the middle of a city. Well, we're not quite, we're on the edge of the city, but we've got a wooded sort of gully ahead of us. And the far side of the river is wooded as well. That's Lee Woods, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah, so we're looking across the North Somerset, and we're in the unitary authority of, of Bristol. And we're on this massive kind of limestone gully, and this is one of the best places to look for rare plants. We've got fantastic trees along here. We've got ash and oak and beech. But it's down where you can see the bare rock. The, the really rare plants are growing in that scrubbly area where the soil oh, is okay. really, really thin. But just round by your boot there, Jack, as well. Oh, I need some something. That's rue-leaved saxifrage. Gosh, it's got the tiniest little flowers, little white five petals. Yeah. And its leaves are, are almost like seaweed. It's got a little yeah. kind of you yes. right, Hannah, like little seaweed leaves. They look almost like trifoliate, but then they're split again, and it's always got a reddish hue. You can see the stem is quite reddish here. And this is the only lowland saxifrage. Most of the saxifrages in Britain grow right on the tops of the mountains in the middle of nowhere. So to see that, 
is, is actually really lovely. That's our only that's real the grass. saxophrage. That's the Whitlow. That's the common Whitlow grass in flower there you've got, Hannah. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it's called common Whitlow grass, but it's actually not that common. <laughs> no. It's only <laughs> really found in places Whitlow. like this where it is really, it's not really that grassy common. either. No, it's not. It's terribly named. <laughs> Some of the plants have got appalling names. Yeah. Do we know what um, direction we're facing in? Like, what kind of uh, light conditions are happening? Well, here? actually, the, the, you're absolutely right to point that out, Hannah, because we're kind of southwest facing here. And the reason why I've come here is because it's very early in the season. And so, some of the plants that normally will flower in April and May might just be out Slightly now, picked. even on a day like today where it's really rainy. <laughs> so what I'm hoping is, because it's got a southwesterly aspect and it gets lots of sun, it might just encourage a few of those really rare plants to have a flower or two. Perfect. European gorse is one of the few plants that flowers all year round, 12 months of the year, January to December. There's a phrase, when gorse is in flower, kissing's in season. That's one of my favourite really? phrases yeah, yeah. of all time. I love it to bits. <laughs> so you can pucker up any time <laughs> next to gorse. And of course, that's red valerian, which is not flowering at the moment because it's, it's too early. Yeah. Um, but that's... People will be familiar with that on there. So front walls of gardens around Bristol. Yeah. Pink flowers, yeah, or red, as you say, red. Yeah. Red valerian and buddleia and yeah. some of those Caucasian um, uh, bellflowers are the really common plants around the walls. Very good. But if we go around there, I would normally walk up that, yeah, but we're not going really to do that. Slippery looking slope, which um, and then ends at a sort of precipice. It's so, a beautiful yes. slide. It'd be a short podcast. Short and glorious. You get on your kneeler and just like. Normally, it. I would walk up and down that carefully, but today, with it being wet, yeah, that does feel even no with chance. even with the best <laughs> shoes. It's... So come this way, guys. We'll go along the top. Uh, now we're walking along, essentially the top of a cliff with a plummet of 40, 50 feet. We've got two, two rare plants here. One quite rare plant and one flipping mega. And the mega's not looking great at the moment, but I'll show you the rare one to start okay. with. This one here... So we've got to be careful where we put our feet here. It's called dwarf mouse ear. And the common mouse ear is really common. We might just find it in flower even on a miserable day like today. So mouse ear, so this is because it's got little round, the leaves like mouse Absolutely. So there you go, that's the little dwarf mouse ears. So this is really found in um, Bristol, Gloucester, North Wales, and not much further afield than that. I did find a little, oh, there we go. These are the little flowering stems oh, of it. Yes. These little clustered uh, stems. Would that be flowering if it was a bit sunnier today? They would yeah, be okay. open, but they're basically yeah. closed up shop for the day. So when yeah. you see it flowering, it's a little white, little white flower, five petals, and each of those petals is deeply notched. So it's a really distinctive plant with lovely red stems as well. Yeah. That's quite rare. But beware, be prepared to be underwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go close to the edge. Expectations uh, of being managed, but... Uh, here we go. Oh, now this looks like chives. This is going to be the Bristol onion. Is it's that right? the Bristol yeah. onion, yeah. This so looks like when I plant leeks. And it they does are, look like chivey, just... leaky. Yeah. They're blue-grey, they're curly, and they're really fleshy, but you see the stems are quite grooved. Um, and this is a mega rare plant. This is the only place in Britain that this is found. The next place is the Mediterranean. It's called the Bristol leek? Bristol, Bristol onion. onion or round-headed leek. And you have to come back in August when it's got a huge big stem with a purple pom-pom on top. And that's when it looks really wonderful. 
But at the moment, it's, I agree, I'm the first to admit, it is slightly <laughs> underwhelming. So I'll, I'll bring you back, guys, in yeah, summer, yeah, and you'll sit. We we'll be in t shirts, <laughs> suntan lotion, yeah. drinking a beer, and looking at this flowering. Looking at this wonderful. I love all of the little. Um, they're so wiggly, rather than being straight like a chive, they've got kind of going off in weird directions. It's almost like Medusa's airlocks, yes. isn't it? So you can see rare plants here at any time of the year, but you have to come back a number of times if you want to find the really good stuff. Hold on, is this, what's this? Is That's this a... common rock rose rock over rose. there. Oh, okay. Just try another yeah. plant to eat, just behind yeah. me. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. Do you know this one, Hannah? No. You, you don't know that one? No, I want to be, I want to be taught. Uh, <laughs> this is Salad Burnett, and a bit like common rock rose, it's one of those ones that um, is found on thin limestone or thin chalk. If you if you smell it and crush, or if you smell it and crush a little bit, it's really common. So we can pick a bit. So you're going to need to describe it. Hannah. A little bit for you, Jack. Thank you. It's so cold that I can't smell it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it has go. got very cold on this exposed slope. <laughs> this is um, I mean, for the listeners, it's very wet. Fergus <laughs> is currently shivering. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm close. <laughs> Do we eat it? Yeah, try it. You can eat it. Yeah. I'm desperate to see what you think. Salad burnet, yes. Salad. So the cue is, is the cue, the, the, the cue clue, is, the clue is in there. The clue is in the cucumber. I was going to say, <laughs> it oh, it tastes a bit cucumbery. Yeah. yeah. That's another plant that you can pick and, and eat. That's fantastic. Cucumber. Isn't it wonderful? And when, it, when it flowers, it's got a little <laughs> stem with a little red pom-pom on top. Oh, so there's, there's going to be lovely flora here. Um, oh. In good. June, so, July, this is frankly I was going amazing. to ask you, the best month for wildflowers, May, June? I would think, I would think probably, yeah, anywhere from the end of May, really, to the, to the middle of July. It's very but, exciting to be here. I mean, I'm literally standing on the edge of a cliff. You are, don't down. step back, <laughs> But I, when I, I was doing my Thousand Shades of Green, I had to make sure that uh, end of April to the end of July, I was, my diet was like bang, 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 yeah. full of all the most important sites. Because I wanted to see the plants when they were looking at their best, not when they were looking miserable. So rare plants when they're in flower, as you can see, like the Bristol onion, are much more impressive than curly-whirly, squiggly, blue-green, <laughs> chivey. It's easier to find leaves. if they're flowering. They're surely. much easier yeah. to find as well. And there's another one here with a mouse here as well that's mouse ear hawkweed so if you look at the back it's got the most amazing white felted hairy leaves so that's got a little oh, stem that comes yeah. up that's mouse eared hawkweed dwarf guy would you like a little that's dwarf mouse ear and that's mouse eared hawkweed but they're completely different the only thing they've got in common is the word mouse there's a rodent link there yeah yeah they've got oh, it's very hairy yeah. shall i show you one more plant before we all freeze to death <laughs> and get a sodden because well, there is an absolute mega and it let's, yesterday let's it was in that. flower oh look i can't stop with oh, keep hold on. finding flowers to this look is at. yeah these are now i think i recognize these but what you want me to say go on i'm gonna say dog violet Mm. Or common sweet violet. Sweet violet! <laughs> <laughs> I went for the wrong one. <laughs> sweet violet always flowers first. This is one of the really important plants for me because I knew my common plants and I knew that was a violet. And just like you, I was like, dog, sweet, common. Yeah. And that's when I took my plant book out for the first time and I started to look at them properly. So if you t I'm just taking one flower because there are loads and loads. And then you look at these green bracts and you can see they're kind of like nicely rounded and lobed 
at the base of the or the corolla of the flower that little that little spur off the back of the flower is the same color as the flower and it also grows cespitos in tufted clumps cespitos so, so you can see word. it growing in kind of suspitos cespitos should i say fashion there so that sweet violet is also the first one to flower as well that's good to so me. early and dog uh, so dog violet and common violet flower a little bit later. They're April, really. Why is it called dog violet? Just out of it, because there's a few things called dog this, dog that, like dog's mercury. I think sometimes when they smell not very nice, they're <laughs> called dog, or when they're common, they're called dog. Oh. I think it's a kind of bit of a pejorative term, actually. Yeah, right, dog violet's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Well, and sweet, I... of sweet violet, you smell it, you can smell. I've not got a very good nose. But supposedly you can smell it sweet. It's tough on a day like this. Yeah. It I'm is. I'm going to put it in my pocket and then see if I can smell it almost slightly yeah. warmer. Try later. Yeah. But what happens is, apparently, it loads up your olfactory senses and you smell it once and then you try and smell it again and you, it's blocked all your receptors and you can't smell it afterwards. That is fantastic Isn't science. that weird? What would be the benefit of that? I don't know. Well, maybe that's to sort of Well, the plants aren't for us, really. The plants are to attract um, kind of, uh, you know, all manner of... Um, pollinating insects, I suppose. Mm. And you've got lords and ladies uh, yes. there as well. Our maculata, which was in Wild Isles. Which, on which Wild was on Wild Isles, Jack, exactly. What was the story on Wild Isles? It was about so they sort of trap insects inside it. Was that the They story? do trap insects. That's the thing. If people who've seen episode one of Wild Isles recently, it was most This is a common wayside plant, but... It is abundant. It's got this amazing flower that's like a spadex, and it's got this kind of little... Um, uh, how do you explain what it is? I oh, well, the, the pointy, the pointy the, thing. It's called cool. one of its names is Dog's Willy oh, or, really? or Penis in the Pulpit. This is probably <laughs> one of the plants that has more common names than any other. Lords and Ladies, Dog in the Pulpit. There's loads of different names for it. And you know we were trying plants earlier on to eat. We're not going to do it with that. Few, few yeah, that's all parts of that are really, really poisonous. And you'll be throwing up as well as you're currently shivering. Wouldn't you'll be kill. shivering up and throwing up. It, would, it wouldn't kill you. I don't think it would, but let's, you'd be severely sick. But it's an amazing looking plant it's, when, when, it, when it flowers. And it's like spear shaped. I mean, how would you describe those leaves? They're sort of they're like, like arrow shaped. Yes, aren't arrow. They? That's a good They're like, yeah. a, like a fletcher, like an arrow. They've got those sort of back pointy bits, almost so, yeah. back pointing oracles i suppose yeah. you could say but when the when the flower comes up and of course in the autumn it has a stem and it has all these red and green berries on so it's really distinctive almost all year round yeah but it's an incredibly common plant and people walk past it all the time and what it does is of course on, on wild owls people know that it, it basically smells a bit of rotten meat attracts these flies in traps them and then releases them when they're covered in pollen. It's very clever. Absolutely brilliant. Deception. Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic sort of stories that these plants have. And you tell them in your book really well, oh. tales of um, the, the, the life cycles of things that we just take for granted, that we might sort of, everyone gets excited about orchids, but when something like Lords and Ladies has this tale. But you talk about uh, saying, taking things for granted, and I think plants as a whole are taken for granted, Fergus. There's this thing called plant blindness, where people notice feathers and fur. But I know really good naturalists, and they don't know anything at all about plants. And I've become a better naturalist by knowing my plants better. Yeah. There are quite a few botanists out there, but they're quite a shy, retiring bunch who don't shout very loud. And a lot of people will just walk straight past plants and ignore them. But, I mean, the planet would be screwed without chlorophyll. Yeah. This, this compound that basically takes the sun and makes sugars and takes in carbon dioxide and pumps out oxygen. I mean, we wouldn't last 24 hours on planet Earth without chlorophyll. No. 
And that's the one thing I really want the book to be about. I want to get more people, turn more people onto the passion of plants, because so many people are just not looking. They're looking up and they're not looking down. And probably my number one plant out of the thousand was this astonishing plant called Norwegian mugwort that lives on three mountain tops in northwest Scotland, found in Norway and found in the Urals. Um, and I did a BBC documentary, Radio Forecasting the Earth, all about my mission to try and find this plant with Dr. Barbara Jones. And we walked up, we, we went there, I'd have, I brought Barbara all the way to northwest Scotland, and we got there. And the weather is awful there frequently. And we got to the site that one day we got to climb the mountain, it looked like fog. It was, it was foggy completely, we couldn't see anything. And Barbara looked there, she stood in the, the lay-by and looked up and she said, I think it's going to be clear at the top. And I thought, you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so we walked through this midge-bitten moorland, getting bitten to bits. And then there's no path up there. We had to follow this series of cairns. And we followed these rock cairns up. And... Um, I was kind of ankle-turning Boulder Field. It's the middle of... No I mean, really is the middle of nowhere. Hard graft. Yeah. And then I not, was... Not quite as hard as today, but... Oh, a lot harder, Fergus. <laughs> and then we were, I, I thought, oh, God, if I fall over, I was, kind of, I was sweating like a mule because I was carrying so yeah. much stuff. And then eventually, we just lit, popped right out of the cloud. It was the most astonishing thing. And she knew because of her time in the mountains. She just knew mm. that it'd be clear. Wonderful. And it was almost like the other mountains, like Quinag and Sulvan, were just poking out like black icebergs out of a cotton oh, wool sea. Is that where you were? Ascent yeah. sort of area? Yeah, Ascent, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. I know it well, yeah. Um, so we went up there, and then we had to go to the summit, and then we went down onto this low Arctic tundra, this Torridonian sandstone that has been like that for a billion years. And it's like a beach with a few rocks and hardly anything growing. And there the Norwegian mugwort was going. Norwegian mugwort? What does it I, look like? I shed a tear. Did you? I did shed a tear. For a mugwort? <laughs> because I went all that way up there to see it, and there's a huge amount of planning. More planning went into seeing that one plant than any of the other plants. And it's, it's really green and hairy, the leaves, because the hairs are there to keep it warm and to conserve water. And the flowers nod coquettishly downwards, and the flowers are about the size of a yellow smarty. So it's got the disc petals, but not the ray petals. If you imagine a daisy, it's got the yellow bit, but not the white bit of the ray petals around the side. And it's just an impossibly rare plant. The mission accomplished. Oh, mission accomplished. I mean, that probably is the number one plant I saw. But just around the corner is one that's definitely in the top five. Great, okay. Uh, I just need to get around there without killing you. That's all right. We can go <laughs> down, Let, down I here. think there's a path yeah. here. Let's go yeah. this way. This is so there's lots of wood sage you can see here, that crispy looking leaf oh, there. Oh, very sagey, yeah. And another that, ancient will indicate it likes growing out of limestone rocks. Has it got a sagey smell to it, if I was to... I think it probably does, actually. Is that a salvia, then? So that's wood sage. Can't smell anything, but, but it's... Uh... I, I came here yesterday, I'm not going to lie, I wanted to make sure I knew where I was going, and I put a bottle by the rare plant. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody threw a Lucas a bottle over, and I thought, I'll use that. So come this way. So not every bit of litter is... Uh... No. So the, you can look at here, these, these, these limestone areas are it's really, really, really important. It's exciting, because we've got this... It's like a beautiful rockery here. Of... It is. I mean, we've lots plants. of rare plants, but this is a real problem. Do you know this? It's cotoneaster, yeah. it's on my front wall, yeah. It is rock cotoneaster, yeah. and this is the reason why they've got the, the, um, the goats in here, because this is incredibly invasive, and if you're not careful, this cotoneaster, you see the big berries on yeah. it, will cover the rock face and this incredibly important habitat. But come down here, it's, 
it's it's closed up, but it is it's got a flower. <laughs> Excellent. Have to be really careful here, guys. We're yeah, right yeah. on the slope. That Fergus, Hannah and Jack is the rarest plant you have ever seen. Look at that. Yesterday when I came here, four creamy white petals were open. Well, we can just about see. It's a crucifer or a member of the cabbage family, but that is Bristol rockcress, Arabis scabra. Oh my goodness, and there's just one little tuft here. Is there any, I, any I didn't, more around? I didn't have a look, I just thought, yes, I found it! And then, <laughs> That's amazing. And then head back to pick up my boy from school. <laughs> but usually when it, when it opens, the reason, you said, Hannah, when it was, it's got a southwesterly aspect mm. here, so it's nice and sunny. So I found it near the suspension bridge yesterday, but I didn't bother to show you that because that's on a north-facing slope. Whereas this here, it's got these lovely little hairy green rosettes, and then this red stems come out, and this lovely little creamy flower with four it's petals. It's amazing, beautiful. The, the leaves are just so beautiful. They're kind of toothed, aren't they? Whenever um, I found a rare plant when I was looking for, for in my 1,000 Shades of Green mission, if I found a really rare plant, sometimes they seem to have a halo around them. <laughs> yeah. They just, they, yeah. they, they, this plant knows it's rare. It's so exciting to see. Even on a day like today when the petals are firmly shut, that is a mega. A Bristol rock rose. Uh, Bristol rock crest. Crest. Thank you, Jack. Bristol rock crest. Bristol rock Yes, Arabis scabra. And the only place that grows, apart from the Avon Gorge, is a small part of the French Alps, the, the Pyrenees, and that is it. Gosh, so there's a tiny, tiny world population. And, it's uh, really and small. And we've seen one of them. And we've well. seen one of them. I think there's probably a few more knocking around here. Yeah. And it's a shame it's the leaves of, oh, sorry, the, it's a shame the petals have closed up today. But that, I, I, I know, is the rarest plant you three guys have oh, ever seen 100%. in Britain. <laughs> it's, um, it's crazy that it's so easy to miss and also that it's only like, what, we're two minutes away from a, a road by we Bristol. We can hear the road below us, yeah. Well, the, 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 the other place where it grows, Jack, is right by the observatory. And do you know what? I reckon thousands of people walk yeah. past it every week and nobody notices it. And only one carelessly misplaced boot will crush the colony. This one's a bit hard to find because we've had to shimmy down a slope. But um, the others, I mean, it's, people just don't notice them. You can walk straight past a rare plant and not notice it. I mean, that is... It's inconspicuous at best, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I found when you get down, you're going to get down close and get dirty knees when you look at rare plants. And Mike's slide, just going down the just slope. Just sliding down um, the slope. Yeah. And then I often, the one thing I use is I've got my little holster on, I've got my plant book, and I've got my little eye lens, which I'm fishing at my 10 times so eye lens. So these are kind of cool things that you see naturalists with. Yeah, uh, they're, they're, they're not. Yeah, it's, it's like it's a magnifying glass, but it's course. a ten times a loop they call it. Yeah. Jewelers wear them all the time, put them into their eyes. So if I get down low, you can't. You could probably just about focus if you have a go. Yeah, just about count the four creamy white petals that have folded up. You have to jam it into your eye. I've got very focused on. So if you jam it into your eye and look, oh you can goodness, just yeah. about see the four petals. Okay. That's a Lucas bottle, Fergus. <laughs> it's very orange. Let's have a look. Yes. But doesn't doesn't it just look rare? I'll catch it. It's so special. Don't you think the plant looks yes, rare? Yes. Yes. It's got a very. <laughs> it's the most unusual leaves of any plant I've seen. In so Britain. put the put the loop right into your eye, Hannah, and then move your head and eye to the flower until it's in focus. That's the way you use those loops. 
But um, I, and there's only one Bristol Rockcrest. I feel a chant coming on. There's only one Bristol Rockcrest. <laughs> and we're looking at it. Yeah, I'm just looking to see if there's any others around. Can you see any more? Or is it just that's um, the one? I think there's probably, there probably are one or two more. Yeah. But I'm slightly worried if we go stomping around no, too No, we don't much, want to do that. We no. might well um, no. we might well crush a few. No, absolutely. Oh, Jack's, Jack's going in for a... Yeah. It's, it's not the best plant to look at with the eye lens because if you look at certain certain plants, they are really, really good. I don't know what that is. It's a seed husk. The silence while Jack appreciates, he venerates the rare. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. It's very like creamy petals. Yeah. And just the way they're sort of delicately folded in, but sort of two, two yeah. in first and then the second two giving them a little hug. It looks so, like it's got a yellow centre in the middle. Yeah, I think it has. I've only seen this plant two or three times before, so I, I can't remember what I was looking at yesterday. <laughs> I think it might have yellow stamens, but I can't entirely remember. Should we, should we kind of yeah, move that's... somewhere else where I'm less in danger of falling off? <laughs> yes, true. true. Don't know who is one of... What was the most difficult plant then to find on your... Uh, that you, I mean, you talked about going up to the top of the Kengorms. Obviously, that was a big mission. But yes. Were there any that you sort of thought this shouldn't be difficult but actually proved to be um, an epic quest and, and frustrating. You, me you mentioned uh, the Chilterns. Yeah. There's a plant called coral root. Coral, <coughs> coral root. Coral yeah. root, which I was really, really keen to see. There's a plant called coral root orchid, which I know a location for in the Highlands of Scotland, so that was easy. But coral root looks very like cuckoo flower. Yeah. So it's a cardamine. And it's got these little tiny bulbils that grow up the stem. And it's only really found in the Chilterns and one or two other locations, I think there's a few locations in Sussex. And that was one of my hit list. And I got slightly, I got slightly obsessed with looking for certain types of plant. I knew, for example, that Lady Slipper Orchid would only be one, like Dandelion was only one. But there were ones that tell good stories. And yeah. I, for some reason I got obsessed with coral root. And um, I went to the place it supposedly was and I was wandering around. Oh, they're feeding the they're feeding goat, goats here. There we go. Feeding them ivy. Clippings, yeah. And Alexander's. Yeah, like and the... Alexander's. Yeah. The goats like the ivy. Yeah. <laughs> so coral root was a tough one to... Yeah, I was... So I went to this place called Goms and Bubbles Wood <laughs> to look for the plant. And that's a real place in the Chilterns. It is a real place in the Chilterns. And I wandered around for hours getting more and more irritable and irritated <laughs> I couldn't find it. Yeah. And um, at one point I was walking around and I could hear these kids in the wood. It was in a suburban area of Hertfordshire and, and they were having a bit of a forest school around a fire. And I, I was really hot and sweaty and, and, and kind of getting really irritable. And this, this little kid looked up as I walked past. I tried to walk past without being seen. And he shouted, look, there's an old man. <laughs> and I realised he, he was talking about me. First time I'd ever been called old. Oh. So, and, and I got back to the car, did some Googling, and realised there were two Goms Woods. Oh. And I'd gone to the wrong one. So I went to the other Goms Wood, and I found it within 10 minutes. <laughs> and so I walked into the woodland, in this fantastic Chilterns Beach woodland, and found the plant. It looks a, very like cuckoo flower, which yes. is flowering at the moment, with these little bulbils Lovely that grow flower. up the stem. Yeah. And I was lying down, photographing it, and this shriek came from behind me. And these girls were walking in the woods, and they thought they found a dead body in the woods. <laughs> I was lying there, half on and half off. Both. So in the space of an hour, I'd been called old and dead. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Oh, God. 
Mike, that was great. Really interesting. It's clearing up. How annoying. The weather's clearing up now. It's not quite, a, not quite sun out, but I'm yeah. so thrilled you guys well, came. Well, thank you so much. And what, a bit. what an amazing thing to have sort of turned what could have been a dud year of frustration into a real, like, you've seen so much of Britain and you've seen so many of the most precious things. I did want to ask you, um, because one of the things, the pervading kind of atmosphere of anyone who loves nature in Britain is there's a little bit of doom and gloom around a lot of loss of habitat and climate change and pollution and all the things. How did you feel after you've seen all these wonderful flowers and amazing sights? How did you feel? What do you, what's your take on the state of nature in Britain? Well, I mean, my own personal take from that year was it was a very bittersweet experience. I'd go and see these amazing plants and they can be found. They are still there. A number of our rarest flowers are declining for lots of reasons like intensification of agriculture, uh, habitat degradation, um, development. Um, but in many ways, it was a bittersweet experience in the fact that I go to these amazing nature reserves and find these wonderful plants and they were still there. But this, the bitter thing was that nobody else was there enjoying them. I go to a bird reserve and, you know, you get onto the Somerset Levels or Ham Wall and there's 50 people looking for cuckoos and bitterns in spring. But I'd go to an amazing reserve in the Chilterns that's famous for its orchids and there'd be nobody there looking at the plants. And that, for me, was the overriding, kind of pervading kind of thought to the year. But I found definitely reasons to be positive um, and I try to channel my positivity in getting more people interested in wildlife because we live in a, a nation of nature obsessives. People love wildlife in this country, but not enough people love wildflowers. But the more people that get into wildflowers, the better. I just think they're, they're so beautiful and so underappreciated and so undeserved. And we need more plant champions. And doing it, I fell back in love with natural history. It is quite quite easy to be disappointed and, and feel a bit crestfallen about the state of nature in the UK. But there is still plenty to fight for. There is still plenty to kind of reason to go outside and get excited at the weekend. One bit of advice for people who wanted to get out and see more plants and become engaged, who, who listen to this and read your book and go, yeah, how do I start? Where would I start? Um, get yourself a nice plant book. I've got my, my plant book right here, my little sexy holster. It's Wildflowers by... Uh, Blamey Fitter and Fitter, which is fantastic. It's got loads of pictures, loads of descriptions. It's a brilliant book, but there's, there's loads on the market. Mm. You need a flower book, and you need a lens, and you need a sense of adventure. And the most amazing thing is you can look at plants two yards beyond your doorstep or at the tops of the mountains. There are plants everywhere in every conceivable habitat. And also as well, there are loads of people who are willing to help you out there. Plant life, the BSBI, the Botanical Society of Britain and Ireland, and the Wildflower Society are three groups who are just desperate for people to say, come on along, come in, come on in, the water's lovely. And they'll take you under their wing and they'll show you plants. So get in there, start identifying your daffodils, dandelions and daisies. Get yourself a kneeling mat if your knees are bad. I've got a pair of verifocals. All you need is a plant book and an eye lens and a sense of adventure. And I tell you what, you would start on this most amazing journey of discovery. If it was the top of the mountain where you're the best botanist in Britain, I'm still in the foothills, but I'm so excited about what's to come. My botanical journey in many ways has only just started. Brilliant. Bring it on! Fergus. Well, I've enjoyed your adventures in the book and I've enjoyed our adventures today. And I'm, Hannah and Jack are nodding and we're a bit cold and wet, but we've but seen some It's absolutely rare, been worth it. Absolutely. Even like, brilliant. Even there's been a whole extra element, it's, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much. Life is a highway, 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, that was a cold, windy and wet start to our new season of podcasts. But what an exciting one. Brilliant to be out with Mike Dilger in the perilous Avon Gorge. But also very nice to be in the dry, in the studio. But also with Hannah and Jack, who've all, who made it back alive too. Good to see you both. And you. Hello. Hello, hello. Um, none of us slipped into the gorge. No. We did find some rare plants, which was really cool. I mean, thanks to Mike. I, I must confess, I would not have seen any of those. No, no. So close to the ground. So green. But yeah. absolutely mega. <laughs> it was a mega. They were mega. They were all megas. Megas. Amazing. That, and that was just a tiny part of his quest a thousand species in a year. Uh, he did mention the book, but we should mention again, Thousand Shades of Green, published by Bloomsbury, which um, has all his adventures. And actually, having read large parts of it now, it kind of gives you really exciting pl- ideas for places to go that aren't necessarily on the kind of nature reserve map. So, f- so. Also, um, Mike was kind enough to sign a copy of his book, which we will be giving to our favourite letter today. Oh, perfect. Yes, that's cool. And um, we'll, we'll be coming to that in a little bit. Now, we were talking after, weren't we, Hannah, about a rare plant on, <laughs> down, down your yeah, way, so, as it were. Yeah, after telling my glorious mother about all the fantastic things that I'd seen and all the, um, I've seen the rarest plant I've ever seen. And she was like, mm, I don't know if that's true, actually. Because um, at home, where we live, Gower, there is a plant called the yellow whitlow grass. A tiny, tiny little thing. And... It's only only lives in the UK around Pennard Cliffs, which is basically where I spent my childhood. So I will have seen that hundreds of times. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was going to ask you what colour it is. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is it like? What does it look like? Do you remember? So it looks um, a little bit like thrift, I guess. So if you imagine kind of cushions of uh, short green foliage and then long stems and then the flowers are yellow instead of pink. Lovely. Yeah. Sounds Sounds great. Yeah. Oh, well, Probably maybe good. you can show Mike. Yeah, sometime. I would love to. So, if there's time, and if you're listening, Mike, um, we would love to take you to Gower to have a little look at this guy. It's a crazy thing to do to sort of set yourself a year long challenge to do things. Uh, but it did remind me of personal anecdote time. I went back in a long time ago, 2006, uh, I was working on BBC Wildlife magazine. And my brother, who was a doctor in a hospital in Essex, 
challenged me to a bird race over the course of the whole year. Neither of us had children then, so we were a tiny bit freer. And at bird races, how many species, how many different species can you see January the 1st to December the 31st? And so we did for a whole year, rushed around. And I didn't write a book about it because it was a tremendous defeat for me where I assumed working on a wildlife magazine, I would have this incredible advantage over a man, stressed out doctor, uh, a plastic surgeon (laughs) in an Essex hospital. But he somehow got ahead and I never caught up with him and he won 174 to 170. Now, that's not a huge number of birds for a a sort of professional birder, but took quite a lot of effort to get a few of the, to get some of those incredibly disappointing and particularly because the loser had to buy the winner a meal in a restaurant of his choice oh, so no. I was massively out of pocket but it was a really <laughs> really fun time and we haven't done it since but I, I suspect that one day we might revisit that I hope you win next time yeah I hope there's still the same number of birds <laughs> that's the thing uh, it makes me th- want to ask you guys uh, we should have in our new season, a sort of sightings and where have we been mm. segment. Um, have you guys been anywhere? Jack? I did go camping. This no. no. Gone. I did. What, in this kind of cold? <laughs> it was quite cold, yeah. <laughs> it was, oh, my word. Is this with your little scouts? It was indeed. Oh. Um, for those, for listeners who don't know, Jack is a scout leader. Yes. It was me and two of my other leaders. We took a bunch of about 10 scouts camping in Bath. And in Bath? In Bath, yeah. Or so Bath. Yeah, a bath. <laughs> Sorry. A bath. <laughs> bath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just for one night. And we took them there. And there was quite a bit there. There was a lot of birdsong there. Bearing in mind the campsite was quite close to a busy road. A lot of rabbits. Oh, lot really? Of rabbits in the Good. Field, yeah. Good to hear. A lot of rabbits. Easter um, rabbits. And a little cat, I think, trying to, <laughs> catch, trying rabbits. to catch a rabbit. Oh. Um, but yeah, a lot of birds. I Again, I do not know enough birds. But uh, I think... There were some pretty good ones. <laughs> Jack, your, your birdsong lessons are coming up soon. <laughs> there was yeah. one that was slightly annoying. Yeah. Uh, oh, good. That just went like, do, 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 do. Chiff, chaff. Chiff, chaff. Oh, it could oh. be great. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it could be either of us. Yeah. I mean, I mean, <laughs> it might be Hannah. <laughs> but he, uh, he was chirping away and I noticed it. And then once I noticed it, it was very, started to get a little bit annoying. Oh, uh, I think he, that's got to be the chiff, chaff. I don't know, because I find the great tip really annoying. So well, It does vary its call a bit, though, because mm. the chiff-chaff literally flies all the way from Africa, settles down, and then just and that's it till August. I think it might have been that, because there was no change. It was just that the whole whole, whole day. Hannah, what about you? Have you been... I haven't done anything particularly super exciting, but um, I have been enjoying the bird song also. Walking through the park to work every day, and wrens singing at, like, hundreds of decibels. It's just deafening were you knocked off your feet by absolutely was. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's one of those birds that it just blasts I'm, well i'm going to launch into um go on i two things well i've been to northern ireland yeah. uh where i've been recording some podcasts for the first time in northern ireland so really pleased to go there i have also god well last night i went to an amazing event at bristol aquarium now jack perks who is an underwater cameraman and writer and all sorts of wonderful things, has filmed... Uh, he's been on the podcast a long time ago. That was episode 25. We went out on the Bristol Froom. We saw some remarkably big fish. But he was he's made a film, brilliant film, called Britain's Hidden Fishes. And we watched that. But <laughs> just we, it was full of incredible characters, all people who either love fishing or protecting rivers or just 
kind of fish heaven. And we were talking, I was with a group of people talking, and the word pike came up. And this guy was passing. He sort of said, did I hear the word pike? And his, he said, well, let me show you something. He pulled out his hand. He put his hand in the, front, in the middle of the group and said, and he had sort of scars across his hand. He said, that's a pike bite, that is. Oh. Amazing. And so his, I, I thought it was one of the best ways to break into a conversation ever because we <laughs> so were just hanging on this. Circling the room. Going, yeah, yeah, like, like a, a pike. Are they talking about pike yet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was a certain sort of pike lunging ambush about the way he, he went into the conversation. And so he told this story. Uh, he's a great guy. I actually uh, hope, Nick, if you're listening, I'd love to get you on the podcast because we, you sound like you do. You have this most amazing life. You do great work. But... Yes, he told this great tale of an enormous pike that he was releasing after after catching it on a lure and measuring it and proving basically there were fish in a sort of particularly dark and dank corner of Kent, I think he said. And um, it, he said it swam off and then it came back to him like jaws and his hand was still hanging over the side of the boat and it bit him. Ooh. And now they don't have great big shark-like teeth. They have lots of rows of tiny little like razor blades and so it's just like sliced 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 there's a lot of blood and that was great loads of I mean gosh so much exciting things the best also another wonderful thing that's happened is I heard a curlew singing over my garden the other day that is amazing curlew's back locally so I have pond news but I'm going to save that for next one of teas I know <laughs> keeping us in anticipation yeah pond news regular pond updates it's that time of year uh, before we go, I know you mentioned earlier that we can give away Mike's book. Oh, yes. To our correspondence of the week. Mm-hmm. And this week, uh, it is going to June Shutt, who did email us last week about her sandwich preference. June Sandwich Shutt. Now, this is a surprise to all you lot. I've heard from June. <laughs> no way. In the episode, Hannah asked what yoghurt specifically was her preference. And June's got in touch. As she has said, surprised even me. <laughs> <laughs> she has said, "Thank you for mentioning me. Oh, My yogurt choice, a yogurt of choice, is Dunnans. Other yogurts available. Other yogurts are available. Uh, light and free toffee flavour. Oh, nice. <laughs> so there we go for everyone. Thank you so much, June. You've got now got the full picture. I do of June's perfect yes. picnic, and I am fully on board with it now with that yogurt choice. Cool. <laughs> okay. But yes, June also sent in her sound, which I think we mentioned last week, which is. A lovely woodpecker, which we'll play for you now. Lovely, great spotted woodpecker and very, well, a good sound to hear at the moment. That's their, that's their sort of courtship. That is their song, mm. which is amazing. Um, yeah, that's come come set up home with me. Let's have woodpecker babies. <laughs> Isn't that? And on that note, if you would like to send in <laughs> a letter or a sound, there's multiple ways. You can email Fergus at editor at That's the one. Or like I said, drop us a little message through Spotify. You can see the message under the episode. The future is here. That's amazing. Jack, thank you for that. Thank you, June. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, please do. As Jack says, please do get in touch. Love to hear your stories and love to hear your sounds. And June will send you a copy of Mike Dilger's book. 
But that's about it for this week. Join us again next week for another brilliant adventure in the countryside with another very special guest. But for now, it's goodbye from me, Jack and Anna, and the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>